0: Lucky brother. All right, let's see. All right, we're going to be in First Timothy chapter three, and then we're going to be in verse fourteen. I'm going to try to stay on time, so bear with me as I situate here. First Timothy 3 14 through 16. Um, and I'm going to pray again um, because we cannot pray enough. <laughs> and uh, I'm feeling a particular need to do so. So, Lord God, unless you build the house, the, the labor is labor in vain. And unless you anoint my words, then I will preach in vain. And unless you move by your spirit in the lives of your people uh, and in the hearing of, of the word, then, then our hearing will be in vain. Lord, I thank you so much that you are a gracious God condescending to meet us in our weakness and our need. And uh, I pray that the simplicity of the gospel would be clear and that your people would find fresh encouragement uh, to live and to be enlivened as um, I do my best to unfold uh, your word. Heavenly Father, be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Timothy three fourteen through 16 reads this way. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write... So that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world taken up in glory so our text um i i was thinking about how to how to rope you in and most of us are currently in a season of life where we're either we there's a lot of children here and we're teaching and instructing and reforming or if you're a parent and you can remember a time where you were saying no don't do that don't put your uh don't put the The fork in the light socket or or all the other sorts of things. Son, say thank you. Um, uh, This text has a similar feeling, but it's more of the golden opportunity where you get to. Get eye to eye with your son or your daughter. And, and if you remember a time where you can really be able to explain the purpose of all the instructions. So you hear a lot of do's and don'ts. And, and there's been a lot of instruction thus far on how to practically live. And Paul is going to refocus Timothy in our text here today and really draw him to the core of what we believe. And so it's, it's like a parent um, with his son Once again, saying uh, like the Proverbs often do, my son, keep my words, heed my instructions that you may live. We hear that again and again. And in this text, uh, Paul writing to Timothy is doing the same, um, same sort of thing. So context just for some who who haven't been here. And then for us, just as a refresher, um, so far we've gone through and, and Paul has is writing to Timothy, his his, he calls him his son in the faith. And he has commanded him to do a couple things. The first thing in chapter 1 was to, to stop some, some bad teaching that was going on in the midst of the congregation. And then he moves into an issue of, of instructing people on how to pray. The men, the men how to pray and, and, and how men and women ought to act godly in the, in the midst of the congregation. And then in chapter 3... He goes over qualifications for the two offices of the church, the office of elder, um, and overseer, and office of deacon. Um, And so that's where we've been. And and now uh, Paul is going to get down to to Timothy's level and and say, listen listen to my words, heed my instruction. And so uh, just a quick outline, if if you like to take notes or if if, uh, it helps you to have a little bit of an outline, those three points. First one will be for verse 14 and the first part of 15. And I just intend to hear my instruction. Point two will be great is the church. And that's all of verse 15. And then three is the church. um, But as the church always sings, verse 16. So let me read again the first part of, of the word of God here. Verse 14. I'm writing these things to you hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And the first thing that Paul does is he says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. And it just sounds like such a term of endearment. He's reaffirming again, his love to this son in the faith. Um, before he's going to reinstruct him and refocus his attention on what he really wants him to hear. Um, and just by way of application, I, I wonder if we do this daily. I, I wonder if we have this and I, I pray that we would have this sort of affection for one another. He starts out and he's, he's about to get again and refocus attention. But um, I feel so often that that I lack the prayerfulness for each one of you every every week and so i just want to as an encouragement seeing how the apostle paul loves timothy and loves the church i want us to be kindled to do something similar uh, just by way of encouragement so paul says i'm hoping to come to you i want to be with you he loves being with the people of god he loves being with the church Uh, but if i delay and uh, he, he trusts that god has his ways and god Plans uh, we make our plans, but sometimes the Lord holds us up. And in the case that that does happen, Paul doesn't make it as soon as he would like. There are some things that can wait, but right here, we sh- we should note that certain things can't wait. There are certain things that must be said to Timothy that are that are um, that are so important that that a holy book of Scripture is going to be written. Um, so what are what are some of the things why does paul um why is he going to take up the pen and write so we said this in context but the 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 things that are going on in the church is there's error being promoted and there's a a false use of of the law of god and so paul feels a need to say hey you need to get that under control and and he entrusts timothy with its defense the second thing that's going on is the congregation just needs to know how to act godly. And there's particular things. Prayer is one of them. Um, a very, very practical thing that needs to be addressed um, and can't wait. So he picks up the pen for that. He also wants there to be an objective standard for, for, our, for leaders. They, they should live and act and speak in such a way and have a, a conduct of life about them. Um, and that's why he feels so uh, desirous to pick up the pen and write. And so it, it behooves us to really listen in here because this is where um, he's going to get into the, the heart of his instruction. So he says, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself. The issue at hand in the book Refocusing after what's been said, uh, some practical things about prayer and how to act in the midst of the congregation. It says, listen, Timothy, you need to know how to be godly. You need to know what actions to take among the people of God and, and then also how to teach those. The, the issue is, is conduct here. That's the main point of the text. Timothy, I want you to know again how to conduct yourself in the life of the church. So the, the pastor needs to know how to conduct himself um but i want you to look at the text here and it says i write so that you will know how one ought that word ought uh, of necessity this is something that he's going to strengthen the command to to timothy you you ought to know how to act there's there's a moral imperative there's an obligation that timothy should feel upon his soul when he conducts himself in the church and and when he's teaching the congregation, we should feel moral obligation to act in accordance with the scriptures and act godly. And when I hear that sort of word, I I wonder if if you hear command, obedience, moral imperative to do this or that. I, I wonder if you feel burdened, beloved. Because I, I do not want you. And I, I don't believe Paul wants you to feel burdened by the commands that are here in Scripture. Some of us are quickly quick to despair of the, the strength. Can I, can I do all that's required of me um, that God commands me to do? And I, I just want to bring a few Scriptures to bear because I think it's very important when we hear, you ought to do this and ought to do that um, coming from the mouth of the Holy Apostle that that you not feel burdened by it. Um, if If you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to read it. This is going to be Hebrews chapter 13, 20 and 21. It says, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you, in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God, if you despair of strength, beloved, God supplies the power for you to, to please God. He gives you the strength. You shouldn't despair of strength because in our weakness, God is strong. Don't, don't, be, don't be burdened by the command. Um, trusting God to give you the strength to love your wife, to do the things that are said, to pray um, for rulers. And um, what's been said in chapter two was a a call to pray for all sorts of people, Um, rulers, authorities, people in high places. um, And there's a lot of work to do there. And I've heard and... I, I imagine that some of you might ask, aren't things going to get bad in this world? Aren't, aren't rulers going to be worse and people are going to be be tyrants? And why, why don't I just focus on, on, on me, the easy thing, saving up for retirement, what have you? Um, is, is prayer really worth it? Um, and along with the c- command, which came to us earlier in chapter 2, I just want to say that prayer is worth it. And I want to quote to you. Uh, this is Matthew 6. So that you would not feel burdened for for the command to pray. Um, and as, as we've been encouraged to do. Uh, Matthew 6, 5 and 6. And then uh, at the very end, 19. It says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. So that they may be seen by men. Truly, truly. Uh, I say to you that they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't, don't despair of, of praying or the command to do so. There's, there's great reward in heaven. Jesus says, seek it. Store it up. It's going to be lasting for you. Uh, you have a great hope in heaven. So when the command to come uh, comes from the apostle like a father to a son comes, don't be greatly burdened. But but be excited that you get to have uh, participate in the reward you're going to have one day in heaven. Um, and I wish I could uh, continue preaching on this, but we have a text to get to. But one more. First John five, three is is, uh, is stated really plainly. And it's very awesome. I encourage you to read this if you if you specifically feel burdened by a call to o- obedience. Um, Uh, In particular, it says in verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Wait for it. And his commandments are not burdensome. No, they are not. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Don't feel burdened, beloved. And so like Timothy I think we all ought to uh, listen in and and focus our attention on what's to be said there. there. It has to be to be said that conduct is an extremely important thing. And so the apostle wants to make sure that that Timothy is taking diligent steps to hear and and obey the words of God as well as to teach those things. Um, And so the that's that's first point we're going to do second point uh which is the church is great so i'll read verse 15 says but in case i'm delayed i write to you so that you will know how to how one ought to conduct himself in the household of god and then here's our portion that we're going to focus on now which is the church of the living god the pillar and support of the truth so the, the we've established that Paul has a, has a compulsion to send a letter and instruct Timothy and the church at large in, in, in godly living. And you've you got to ask the question, is, is why? And I think the first reason that we come to here is is because of the nature of the church. So why ought Timothy... Uh, heed these words. What What's so important? And the first thing is the nature of the church. So if you want to look down, it says in verse 15 toward the end, it says he ought to conduct himself in the household of God, um, which was said just uh, a few verses earlier in uh, the qualifications to an elder. It says in verse Four of chapter uh, chapter 3, it says, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So do you see the parallel there. Household, family. Household, church of God. It's the same thing. Church, and uh, church means gathering of people. Right now, we're the congregation we're the gathered people of god and and there's this parallel that he's making and what he's saying in in the the pastor is like a father to the church um it's children or a sh- and there we also we also see the the shepherd to the sheep analogy Made and so Timothy should feel a real responsibility with all of God's children as, as this authority figure. Um, he might be the authority figure, but not to lord over, but to love. Um, the the uh, father does not wield his hand uh, heavy in order to, to, to smack his children down, but um, he might bring loving correction. Um, but it's to, to bear them up. Timothy should feel the weight of this. It is an amazing weight to, to, to have your son or daughter come into the world and think, gosh, this is a lot of responsibility. And, and Timothy, right then in that moment, as he's reading this, is thinking, man, this is a huge responsibility for me. And so with the entrusting of the conduct of, of his own soul and, and his teaching— um, this adds weight and sobriety to, to what's being said. You're, you're the, you're the authority figure in this household, my household. These are God's words. It's not, it's not made up by Paul. It's, it, he's the father to the, to the children in this sense. So that's, that's the first reason, first reason, um, uh, because there's this authority structure given by God and an analogy to his place among the people of God. Um, the, there's a second phrase that I want to look at. It says, so the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And I, I think I read that about a hundred times and, and kind of just breezed over that. There's something to be said about every scripture that we come across living Specifically, living God is not a throwaway term. Paul means for it to communicate something. And just so that we would have a little bit of Old Testament context um, and to also feel the weight. There's an amazing passage in Jeremiah that I want to read in Jeremiah chapter 10. And uh, I'm going to start in verse six. I really could read the whole thing. But b- behind this term, living God, here's, here's what we should think of. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name and might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? Indeed, that is your due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in, in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether stupid and foolish, in their discipline of delusion, their idol is wood beaten silver is brought from tarshish and gold from euphaz the work of a craftsman and of the hand of a goldsmith violet and purple are their clothing they're all the work of skilled men but yahweh is the true god he is the living god and the everlasting king at his wrath the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation thus you shall say to them the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from under the heaven, uh, under the under the earth and the heavens. And I could keep going, but behind what Paul is communicating to Timothy, uh, the living God it stands opposed to all of our culture today, and even even in the culture of where he would be, where Timothy would be pastoring. Uh, Where there's a plurality of gods and everybody's view is accepted, um, but Paul feels an expressed zeal um, in order to communicate something specific that Jesus Christ, who you proclaim and preach and who we serve, is the only God. He's the living one. He has breath. He created it all, and and we are His children, His servants. And there is no other. And so uh, there should be added weight again to the calling that is being taught. You, you church, serve the only God that there is, which is an amazing privilege. And in this text, it's such an exaltation of the church. Um, And yet again, uh, he's going to say another. It it feels like um, he's going to put another strong phrase to it. Um, right after he says, which is the church of the living God, he says he calls this church, this congregation of the living God, us, beloved, the pillar and support of the truth. Um, and, and so this, this is going to be the really the third reason I, I think that's coming out uh, as to why Paul is so um, uh, zealous to make sure Timothy understands what he's talking about is the is not just the nature of the church is, is God's family, God's household um, and uh, servants. And we are all servants of, of the only true God. But uh, but also the function and, and the function that we have in the world. So. Um, so let let me address most of you probably have the ESV um, just because that's been our our default translation. And in, in the ESV it says uh, support or, or pillar and and buttress of the truth, which is a little less literal, but I like the translation nonetheless. The idea, if you don't know what a buttress is, it's a, it's a defending wall. Um, so keep that in mind uh, if you read the NASB, KJV, CSB, a bunch of others, it's going to be a little more literal and is not going to help with interpreting a little bit for you, but... It's going to be uh, ground or foundation or, or um, support is what it's going to say. That's more a little more literal. But the picture is clear, right? He's, he's already talked about the household of God a number of times. There's a, there's a word picture here. What, what, is, what else is a, a pillar and a foundation? It's a house. He's playing off the same term that he used. So in, in, we, we have to ask the question, in, in what way... Um, does the, the church house or support or bear up the gospel? Um, in in our day and age, uh, I can think of, like this is I feel like I hear this question every day um, and it goes something like uh, uh, something like this. And the question is posed to a statement that the church bears up the truth is what said here, bears up the truth as a support. And in, in what way? That sounds a little uh, uh it could put you on shaky ground it feels like so the question that i think is posed to to us in our culture um and then also would be here is does does the church prop up the gospel and sure up uh inherent weaknesses in it is there something like insufficient in the truth that the that the church has um, and I, I hear skeptics and I hear uh, even uh, more liberal leaning Christians say this all the time. There's all sorts of contradictions in the Bible. Um, and some are even willing to go so far, even even those who we would say are Orthodox would say, "Yeah, that's right. And and uh, we all we all should cringe at that. Um, but that's not anything new, beloved. It, it happened in Jesus' day, and, and the thing that comes to mind is Matthew uh, 22, and I'll read this. Jesus is having a, having a discussion with the, the Sadducees, which were the teachers of the day, and and they're, they give Jesus this story, and they're questioning the resurrection, which is taught in the Old Testament. And uh, They don't even believe that, let alone like when Jesus is about to rise again in a few chapters in Matthew. But they're questioning just the general principle of resurrection of the dead and the words that Jesus comes back after to to respond respond to in verse twenty nine if i if I got it right, maybe I didn't. Do you know where it is pat Oh yeah, sorry. I was looking at the wrong chapter. Yeah, it is. All right. Verse 29, it says, But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And here, listen to this, because they're questioning the resurrection. He says, But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of dead, not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And really what's emphasized here is the the present tense of the verb. I am. Jesus is basing his argument off a tense of a verb. I think that should sink in. People are like, can't trust the Bible. He's, he's saying, yeah, it, it, the, the verb was translated right. It wasn't past tense. It's not like I was living at one point. God, God was alive then. But I am. He has the highest, absolute highest view of Scripture. And Jesus also says elsewhere that that the Scripture cannot be broken. And so, beloved, I would like to just make an analogy. If you've ever seen those really big, really big uh, like cargo freight ships with the giant holes and the huge chain coming out that the um, that have a huge uh, enormous anchor sitting on the on the edge of the boat because there's hundreds of thousands of tons on the boat holding it there. The strongest argument against the scriptures is like uh, if you go to KFC and get a plastic knife and fork and trying to cut trying to cut the the anchor off. You're trying to cut the chains, which is absolutely futile. The, the scriptures uh, defend themselves. They, if you know how to read them, um, all sorts of false teachers will, will twist them and make them say other things. But in their context, the scriptures can stand for themselves and you can stand on every single word that is written in the book. Um, and so, no, the answer is the church is not shoring up any weakness in the truth. No, not at all. Um, and the truth, I've, I've already uh, said it's uh, the scriptures, but I think um, it's also helpful to look at uh, the second chapter. I'll just read it in verse four, because this is the only other place he uses truth this way um, in the book. It says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Knowledge of the truth. What what knowledge of truth you have to come to to be saved, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The testimony given at the proper time, and then he says, "I'm a I'm a preacher of these things," and so the truth um, is yes, generally the scriptures, but even more specifically, and you're going to see that really clearly in what he's going to say next. But it's the gospel, um, the the truth of the gospel. Uh, is is what's being talked about the church bears up the gospel and so so what is the the actual way to to understand the support how does the church support it um by holding high its proclamation by just declaring what it is the the gospel is is the simple truth that that we are sinners god in in christ reconciled his people by the way of the cross um, and as we celebrated in Easter just a couple Sunday, yet yeah, last Sunday, the resurrection. And so, the the way that we support the the truth in the world, the truth of the gospel, is by speaking it, and also in this text, living it. Um, the conduct is very important. And and how do we see that? Well, we we see the the opposite of that when. Um, some famous pastor commits adultery and is found out after years of of cheating on his spouse and there's a huge fall maybe even the whole congregation um, and all the churches shut its doors there's a sense in which that God and 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 this is an exaltation of the church um, rightly so but of of the fact that we our actions can bring reproach upon the name of Christ and uh, what a humbling thing it is to have entrusted to us this message God has laid a laid a word in your hands and in your soul to to proclaim and so our our life timothy 's life here in our lives are are, are going to bear out a support to that they 're going to support it they 're going to defend it that 's why buttress comes in that 's a perfectly good translation they 're going to defend it um, and so it's very important for Timothy to know and for us to hear the words of Scripture and to, and to live uh, under the blood of Christ and in consistency with the gospel. Um, and so that's the that's a negative negative picture is when uh, reproach is brought upon Christ because of actions. But. Um, I think more appropriate in our mind all the time should be what Peter talks about where there's a lot of suffering. He calls, he says, there's fiery trials coming on you. And, and he uh, commends the church to live in such a way that they're rejoicing and being super excited, um, even under the midst of persecution, such that in, in the third chapter, he's going to say, you should be living in such a way that your hope is so set on god that people have no category for for what's going on in your life how how your conduct is because you have such hope amongst the terrible situation um and that's how you defend the gospel that's how you defend uh the the word of of god in your life is by living in submission and trusting god simply believing uh, as Pat says all the time, Jesus, 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 it's just being so centered on him. Um, and, and that's how we bear up the truth in the world. That's how the the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. Um, and then so last last point in, in, uh, in our in our time together, uh, verse 16, I'll read it again. It says, by common confession, or assuredly, Great is the mystery of godliness. Um, and I'll just, I'll just stop there. I, so I think Paul's doing this, um, and I want you to participate a little bit. So I'm going to say a famous line. To, I'm going to do two different ones of a hymn, and you guys tell me the second portion when I motion to you. So if I say, what's the line that follows? Hark the herald angels sing. That's right. Everybody knows it. Let's do another one. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. me in That's right. Everybody knows that. And Paul here does does this amazing thing, which we'll see as an outflow of what he's been saying. But he he quotes um, what's thought to be the earliest of hymns, um, and we don't have much info. We don't have it existing other than the words in the uh, in the scripture here, um, but. That's what he's doing, and so everybody's familiar. Confessedly, kind of points to the nature of this being uh, of common confession. This is this is what the church was singing um, in the in in the very beginning, and it says that uh, great is the mystery of godliness. And I, I read a I read a good quote from Calvin, and w- why is the reason this confession that he puts out this this song that he puts out? Um, why is it so great? It's, well, it's because it does not treat of mean subjects, but that of the revelation of the Son of God. Why is this confession great? Because Jesus is at the center, exalted where he ought to be. In um, the mystery of godliness here, it feels like a strange term to me, but the, the point of it is to say that, that Christ, all that Christ is and all of his acts of redemption, which are here, and we'll go through line by line all of his his person and his work um in the acts of of the gospel that's the mystery of godliness um the mystery of of godly living godly conduct which is what timothy's being called to to focus on is conduct and uh if i don't know if you when you read it but it feels to me uh i was like why is this why is this here and that's a really really good question to ask why is why is this here because he just kind of leads into it um and i think that's a natural outflow of his heart for one but when calling somebody to godliness what what better thing to do than to quote something everybody knows and have christ at the center what what should be and what is the center of all of our our godly living what's the greatest example that you can give Christ himself and and so what is the center of all of our talk about godliness and where does it begin he wants to ground Timothy in what he already knows Jesus Christ himself and all that he's done for us that's the center of of godly living and it points us again to the the way the church supports that we hold up in in preaching pats preaching every week um in the faithful preaching we support the gospel that way but we also do it in all of our singing and so when we sang tonight the three songs that we all know and love um that is the way we're bearing up the gospel worthily in the world um so let's let's go through line by line and uh let's look at these so the first the first one is it says he and we all know who the He is because of everything that follows. He um He w- who was revealed in the flesh, or He was revealed in flesh. And that's that's Christ. And so much could be said about this, but um uh the word, I just want to talk about the word mystery a little bit. So mystery is a little bit different. We think of uh something dark and hidden and cannot be known and mystery is used a little bit differently in in the scriptures it, it it's dark and hidden in times past and now presently it's something that's revealed christ the incarnation which is what's being talked about christ being manifested in the flesh is a open secret as they say um it's something that that everybody knows but was hidden in times past when you look at the old testament and then you look how it points to Christ. Those were vague shadows. Those were types. Those were things pointing to Christ. And now we have the fullness of the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. And, and the mystery is revealed. And um, speaking of the incarnation, I, it's something we all know so well that I feel that we need to, again, just go from the beginning and walk through just in short form. Imagine, imagine hearing for the first time how audacious this sounds, how crazy this sounds. The God, only God, who bears up all the universe and sustains it and breathes life into it and he hasn't walked away but holds it together minute by minute by minute and is supporting your life right now. 2,000 years ago came into flesh. He, he didn't appear. He wasn't made. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. He took on our skin. He took on our humanity and, and was a little baby in the arms of a virgin mother in the dusty streets of Galilee. It's crazy talk and how humbling it is to have a gospel that Timothy believes, accepts, is commissioned to preach. And we're commissioned to, to preach as well and and to bear out in our lives um, to, to think that the the awesome God of the universe came and humbled himself and, and became like us and revealed himself to us. He manifested uh, the person exactly of God in the flesh. He is God and fully God, fully man, and that brings such gravity to how we live in 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 our lives. Um, and the second phrase is is justified in the spirit. He was or or vindicated in the spirit, and so I think those perfectly go together: incarnation, resurrection. So there's a lot of different things that people said, and it's, it's Christ in his ministry. I think it's just best to think of it generally as speaking about the resurrection of Christ. And I, I get that from Romans 4, um, just at the very end. I think Paul is doing the same thing that he talked about in Romans 4, so I'll read it real quick. Um, and at the very end in verse twenty twenty five. 25. Uh, Paul's already talked about about this, and so it's just right to look at a uh, scripture that, especially quoting a, a hymn, um, it's best to just look at what else has been written with the same words. Um, I'll start in t- 24 and 25. So Romans 4, it says, but but for, or excuse me, I'll start in 23. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, that that is righteousness, but It was for the sake also to to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And here's here's what's similar. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised for our justification. So those words are the exact same justification and Christ being raised, talking about the Spirit's work in in the the resurrection of christ and because i was reading calvin i i might as well quote him because this is really good so as it relates to um the resurrection i thought this was uh, amazing and it stirred my soul so i want to share with you um and he was raised for our justification it's a quote as it would not have been enough for christ to undergo the wrath and judgment of god and to endure the curse due to our sins without without his coming forth a conqueror and without being received into celestial glory that by his intercession he might reconcile God to us the efficacy of our justification is ascribed to his resurrection by which death was overcome not that the sacrifice of the cross by which we are reconciled to God contributes nothing towards our justification But that the completeness of his favor, that's God's favor, appears more clear by his coming to life again. So Jesus is commended by God in the justification. God puts the spirit uh, at work to raise Jesus to life. Jesus took his, his life up again, but the spirit is present in the resurrection of Christ to say... The stamp of approval of all that all that he had done in the in the gospel um seen by angels is the next phrase seen by angels uh is is really interesting because angels are so present in the gospels everywhere at the tomb is the first place that i think of but they're also at his birth hark the herald angels sing um glory to the newborn king there are myriads of angels um uh fawning over Jesus as he's born in Bethlehem. Um, during his life, we see angels ministering to him um, after the temptation in the wilderness, the Garden of Gethsemane, and angels in 1 Peter are longing to look in this thing that has been revealed. What's been revealed? The gospel—it's been hidden, and now it's here. And angels cannot stop and help but look. They're so intensely interested in what's going on. God is redeeming and has redeemed us, beloved, from our sins. The mystery of of godliness in the gospel um, through Christ is is t- intensely amazing, and and should be, and we should awe over what has been done by by our lord to save us and then it's uh preached among the gentiles or preached among the nations and uh believed on in the world so the the scope of this thing that was hidden that came to to pass is global the the glory of christ ought to be proclaimed everywhere the church brings this message uh, by supporting it, uh, by proclaiming it to everywhere in the world. And, and this is, it's worthy of, of being such, and we're entrusted with such a task as to do that in our workplace, with our families, in every place you go, the, the gospel um, is worthy, worthy to be proclaimed. And there's global implications for what we're doing here today. Um, if one of you has a stirring to, to go to a foreign country uh, or to go to another city that, that really has no solid gospel presence, um, th- this is a good, a good thing to desire because people need the gospel. And that's how we bear it up in the world. And the weight of that, if it's sitting at home with you, um, don't don't ignore that. Pray about it. Um, seek the Lord as to to how He might use you in your workplace with your coworkers, um, and out out in the world. Um, I am running low on time, but uh, let's let's read let's read this uh, last part again. Believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Uh, Preached among the nations. I got to go one more place uh, to Ephesians chapter two, uh, just because I think it's so important. Um, In verse twelve, it says, "This is speaking to mostly non-Jews, Gentiles." So the the thing that's great that is of worth confession of here in in our text uh, is talked about in Ephesians two twelve. And I'll read that real quick. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel's and strangers to the covenant of of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both groups, that's Gentiles, um, us mainly, and Jews. We both of those groups were made one and broke down the barrier of dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that he, in himself he might make the two and one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to God the Father. And that's amazing. <laughs> It is, is so amazing. I, I want you to feel the, the weight that Timothy must feel in this thing that is hidden. The, the gospel has now been revealed and it's been hidden for, for millennia, um, for, for centuries, that is. And now it's been entrusted to the church. And this guy, Timothy, is, is charged to lead a church and such weight... Uh, that it must must bring on him that that this amazing thing has been entrusted to him and the rest of his congregation to keep them straight in line with the gospel so that they would bear out uh, in their lives a right living and a right speaking uh, for him and them. And and that and it's an amazing privilege. God could do it many other ways. Uh, But he has chosen to to lay the gospel in the church's hands um, and be the center of it for us. And he draws, uh, to to sum up, he draws Timothy's focus and attention and his conduct, not to himself. He's going to talk about that later, but he must ground him in the center of what we believe. The, the life and death and resurrection of Christ Jesus the Lord. And to, and to sum it up, the, the the hymn ends, Taken Up in Glory. Because that's where Jesus is now. Um, and I wish I could bear out. I will commend a, a book to you just because I, I, I don't have the time today. But um, there's a series called... Uh, it's a NASBT new series, new series in biblical theology. It's a a little silver book, but it's called um, Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. And so, when if you look in like the King James version, you'll see Acts Acts of the Apostles. But this book lays out, and I think rightly so, that Jesus is the power by which the gospel goes to all the nations. And so I don't want you to think here that it's just our sole responsibility to do that. But really, in, the, in Acts, the whole book is structured around showing the fact that God, in Christ, through his spirit... Is is promoting the gospel, and there's a reason that it's going out to the nations. And God ordained that this man Stephen, in one of the chapters of Acts, is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching the gospel to the Jews, and they reject it. Um, And he sees Christ, the Lord, standing um, as they stone him. And then what happens? The church scatters, and the gospel goes forth to the nations. And then Peter. Uh, is entrusted with uh, he has a vision multiple times to go to cornelius and go to the go to the gentiles and and leave and and the fact that god is bringing in the people so um i'll commend that book and i'll also say that in as we think about the commission here to timothy and and our the application for us to to bear out the gospel is the fact that that god through his spirit is working in all of us, so as to bring about His glory, um, and I want to commend you to 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 live your life in light of what's been in light of what's been said, um, and I want to I want to pray for us, and um, and we'll wrap up here today. Heavenly Father, you are so gracious as to have entrusted to your church, uh, entrust your church with the message of reconciliation, the message of the gospel, um, and not to leave us in our own strength, but to give us your spirit to proclaim it and support this amazing truth, the center of our faith that Christ Jesus the God-man came and lived a perfect life and, and died so that we might be reconciled to you, Father. And he rose again by the power of the Spirit, and we marvel at, at the wonder of this gospel. And I pray, Father, you would stir up in us encouragement so that we would go forth from this place to, uh, this evening, tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, being confident in the the power that you supply to to live out the gospel and to not be burdened by it by the command to 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 live godly and to um, preach and, and and bear out the the name of uh, the name of Christ, I pray Father that as we take communion and focus on the fact that we uh, we receive you every week by faith that we would we would have our minds kindled afresh in in this hymn to all the beautiful things that that are said of the gospel, and I pray that um, we would take communion worthily um, as as Pat shares from the Word and and we go through our our normal communion routine. I pray, God, that it would not be rote, but that it would be fresh again in our souls uh, because you've given it to us and you've entrusted these things that we've heard and done a million times uh, for our life again today. So may you bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I don't know how to turn this off. Thank you.